Luke 24. And if you want to, uh, just uh, place your hand or a finger back at the book of Acts. Somewhere around chapter 1 would have you in a good spot. Okay? <clears throat> so, on Easter Sunday, I was, I was kind of thinking about our church. And I was thinking about it from the perspective of Easter and we're having two services. And I just started thinking at a very practical level about our relationship to the world around us. The thought that was most prominent for me was, I wonder how many of us, knowing that we were kind of in an outreach mode on that day, how many of us intended, like thought about it and then intended or intentionally reached out to someone and did the ask? Okay, that's like, that plagued me Easter Sunday morning, that thought. Because as I, as I reflected on my own, well, I'll tell you, for two reasons that was prominent in my mind. Because I felt deeply convicted as I thought back over the previous two weeks and my own preoccupation with my life and my stuff and my needs and my desires. And it was pretty much about me. And I hadn't given much thought to the world around me and to the need of others in light of the gospel, particularly the themes that we would cover on Easter Sunday morning. So my, my, my question to you this morning is how pervasive in our church family is that tendency? My tendency? To know Christ and not speak of Christ and not share Christ should feel strange uh, to know the truth that sets people free and not share that truth is odd so I felt convicted second reason I felt convicted was that Thursday of that week I had a gentleman with me in my van who was coming to help me do some work and like, we're driving along, like, I'm like, do you want to get lunch? Do you want to go to church on Sunday? Like, I mean, it was just that unprepared and unplanned. Just like, want to get lunch? Want to go to church? <laughs> like, and I was like, he's like, yes. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, Here's what convicted me, okay? And he came, he sat in the front, and you know, I felt good because you got to see me with somebody, so I looked good that day, okay? <laughs> but I want you to know this. It was totally unplanned and unprayed. I hadn't thought about it. And that's the part that was like, God had to provide, like, this person sitting three feet away from me for me to, like, get on the page, and, I, and I, so I started thinking about what if we all gained an appropriate passion for Christ that started to affect our daily life, started to affect how we come to church. Folks, it would be wonderful if we couldn't fit in here. We're getting close to that point, but it would be awesome if we had to do something 
And the only way that's going to happen is if we start to get serious about the calling and the commissioning that God has given to every Christian. And not as, look, I could try to make you feel guilty about it. And I, I, I'm going to tell you this, that will never change how we operate. It won't. I've tried that and failed. I can make you feel bad about it. It won't change you. It's not until we fall so deeply in love with Christ that we are so caught up in Christ that it, 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 evangelism will always work out of the overflow of your heart. It will never work because you made a decision on Sunday morning at church to say, I'm going to start doing this. Okay, it will only happen when your affections are turned upward so that Christ, you are so full of Christ that it has what one writer in the Puritan line of thinking called the expulsatory power of affection for Christ. And he said, what does that mean? I have no clue. I like the way it sounds. <laughs> no, what he means is it, affection for Christ, so overwhelming that it expels other affections. That there is not room for other desires and other passions. Sorry, the house is full. There is no vacancy. And when we are so full of Christ that his love, our appreciation for his affection and his passion begins to overflow, the ask will just happen. It will become part of the ebb and flow of normal Christian living as opposed to, oh, I have to go out and talk to that person. It won't be I have to like duty like flowers on Valentine's Day. Okay, it will be like, I just thought of you today. And I want you to know the person that has changed my life. And so this morning, I want to challenge you from the end of Act, uh, end of Luke and the beginning of Acts about the topic of sharing our faith. Because honestly, this is where it's all going. I was talking with Doug this morning. He and Sherry came up, stayed overnight with us last night. They didn't arrive till 1030 Okay, it's like, what's up with people that do that to you, right? <laughs> no, we knew they were coming late. We knew they were up this way and they were coming. So I'm just teasing. Okay, everybody's quiet. So like, I can't believe he just said that. <laughs> Doug, the Doug knows me very well. He's not embarrassed. Now, Sherry is glaring at me, but no. We were talking about the book of Acts and how the book of Acts ends. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's really, it's an odd ending to the book of Acts. It says, you know, Paul was in prison. And he continued to teach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it ends. It just ends. He doesn't say goodbye. <laughs> There's nothing. It just ends. But it doesn't end. Right? Because the, the honest truth is the book of Acts isn't done being written. It's just up to that point. That's what had happened. And it comes onto the shoulders of the next generation to, in the power of the Spirit of God, take and proclaim the message of Jesus to a world that is as needy now as it was then. And that's just, there's an assumption that the story just, it just keeps going. And people keep telling and sharing the goodness of Christ. So this morning, I, I, I want to, I want to like deal with the question of why doesn't it happen? Okay, why don't we? Why are, why, are, why are we not a church that is full of new believers? Does that ever bother you? I mean, if 
The great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And I believe that is the garnish on the plate. And the great commission is the main course. Why are we so quiet? If our commission, our purpose for existence is to make Jesus known in acts of love and words of the gospel. And then you start asking yourself, from a biblical definition, are we really a church? I mean, are we, would people know that that's what we are because that's what we do? And, and I, I just started to get convicted afresh about, am I sharing Christ? I, I think about it, but is it happening in my life? And I want to I destigmatize it. I don't want you to think you have to take a course. I don't want you to think you have to go through a training. You just have to get a passion for Christ. That he becomes the person that you can no longer be silent about. Now, you can think through why you're silent. And, and I, I could do a, a quick survey. And I could kind of guess where most of you are going to come from. But I think most of, us, most of us would not be telling the real truth about why we don't share Christ. Most of us say something like this. Well, I, you know, I just don't know that I'd be able to answer their questions. Can I just be honest with you? I don't buy that. I don't buy it. And I'll tell you in a few minutes why. I think it goes deeper. I want us to look at just three basic convictions that emerge out of the end of Luke and then kind of tie it out to a practical application of this discussion about what a privilege it is to proclaim what God has done for us. So would you read with me Luke 24, verse 45? It says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, which is the good news. And then that good news, when it is preached, brings repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That is what we are preaching in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, starting where you live. Okay? You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Doug kind of worked on these verses a little bit last week, and I want to move us forward in the discussion into this practical area of what it is to share our faith, why it doesn't happen, and, and how it should. Okay, and I think the first thing that this text expresses for us is this. God has a plan, and that plan is to reach the world in which you and I live. Okay, can we agree on that statement? Start at Jerusalem, go into Samaria, Judea, the other, uh, Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That is the plan of God, that those that know Christ will go out into the world they live in. And verse 48 here identifies what believers are. You are my witnesses. And a witness simply testifies to what is true. A believer in Jesus testifies to what is true about Christ for the world in which we live. That he died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and on the third day he rose again. He has changed my life. And the, this, this, this call that we have is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Same, same time synoptically, seen the same from the different apostles' perspective. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Go. 
And the Bible says Jesus breathed on his disciples the Holy Spirit, and they went and became witnesses to his rich grace and work that would change their lives. Now, God's plan is to use common people to take the gospel to the world. And I love this because you can study through the book of Acts, and what you will find is one high flyer named Paul. One extraordinary person, and everybody else is strangely ordinary. Because here's what most of us think. We think there's a gift evangelism, isn't there? And the truth is, yes, there are people that God has gifted, like a Billy Graham, like a Louis Palau. There, there are people who have a unique capacity to proclaim the gospel. But there is a responsibility that comes to all of us by virtue of receiving good news to share that good news with others that will change their lives. And it's not do this, it's do this. It's the privilege that we have to take the name of Jesus and make it known to people. God in this plan has tagged ordinary people. And Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, not many mighty, not many noble, not many strong, not many wise. And you've got to ask yourself, why? Folks, here's the simple answer. God doesn't need them. He needs you. His plan to reach the world you live in is you. His plan to reach the people in your work is you. His plan to reach the people in your neighborhood is you. It's me. And when that starts to settle in and we start to realize God has a plan, his plan is me to take his news and testify. And this is simply what it is. It's sharing with people what God has done for you, making it known. His plan is that you would be his witnesses. So that's God's plan to reach the world. It's us. Second question, though, that comes up is because most of us cower in fear when it comes to sharing our faith. It has become worse in a world that is very relative in its thinking that wants to say that there are numerous ideas about how you get to God. And as long as you believe that all those ideas about how you get to God, all those paths are equally valid, you're in. But if you believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, you are out. Where does that leave Christians today? That leaves every Christian thinking about the consequences of sharing their faith. It leaves many people living in fear of their job, sharing their faith. There's someone in our church that will go unnamed because I would embarrass them. And I'll even try to keep the gender obscure, okay? Who quoted something from the Bible and was reprimanded officially in the workplace for doing that. Now, most of you haven't been that brave because you don't want to deal with the consequences. And so what we've done is we've acquiesced to silence and been shamed into silence about the truth that matters most. And that is a dangerous place for the church to be. Because we are given by God power to be witnesses. And yet we are stifling and quenching that power that God has given us to change our world. 
Now you start thinking about this. And I, I want you to look at verse 29 of Luke 24. And I want you to think of this statement. God has a plan to reach the world. God provides the power to fulfill that plan to reach the world. Listen to where the power comes from. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been, this is weird, till you have been clothed with power from on high. What did you expect? What did you expect to hear? Stay in the city until you have what? Did you expect the Holy Spirit to be mentioned here? You didn't? You were wrong. No. Right? I, in every other gospel, what does it say? It talks about the coming of the Spirit. What's interesting is that the, the word for power here is substituted for the person of the Spirit. And the implication is what? That when the Spirit comes, power to do the Great Commission comes along with the Spirit. So to have the Spirit of God is to have the power to make a difference in the world that you live in. They're one and the same. Okay, so when, if the Spirit is present, He is present with power to affect the difference in lives of those around you. He desires to use you and I to make a difference in our world via the gospel. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says to the disciples, and it's interesting because now it goes personal pronoun. But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now I get the connection. Power comes by the Spirit to do what? To be witnesses. Now I'm back to Luke chapter 24 and verse 47. You'll be my witnesses when? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When he comes upon you, he will give you power to go out and then to be agents of change in light of the gospel. So God gives us a plan to go out and change the world. Then he infuses us as believers, gives us his personal presence. And with his personal presence, all of the attendant blessings to be effective in fulfilling this great commission to reach the world around us. Now, what is meant, okay? What's meant is the Spirit of God is coming in power, and that power is not given to impress. That power is given to affect people. Okay, I've seen power that was meant to impress. Okay, if you watch in the area that we live in, a lot of the young guys now are into diesel trucks. Okay, diesel trucks are all about what? They're about power. Are they practical? Okay? Yeah, you could argue, okay? Those are places in which diesel trucks are practical. The answer is absolutely. All right, if you work in an environment where it's effective, towing equipment, etc., that's great. All right, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but there are a lot of people who have power to impress. Okay, I remember as a young kid kind of getting slightly enamored with the Mr. Universe contest. Okay, a lot of power. Any practical benefit? It's like, none. The, is it impressive? Yes. Does it affect any change? Does it make a difference in anything at all? No. And I have three nephews that drive these huge trucks in a three-mile commute to work. They never put anything in them because they don't want to mess up the truck bed. All right? Is it powerful? Yes. Why is it powerful? To impress. It makes no practical difference. Folks, here's what we need to understand. The Spirit of God comes not to impress, 
but to effect change in people's lives. He comes to alter us, to change us, to flip the switch, to make us something that on our own we could never be. And here's what I would argue as you work through the book of Acts, you will see this over and over and over again. Okay, that the power of the Spirit of God, His coming and His infilling is the continual experience of believers who are surrendered to witness for the kingdom of God. Okay, that infilling of the Spirit, that power of the Spirit is the repeated experience of those who engage in faithful witness. I want you to listen to how it happens in the book of Acts. Acts 4, 7 to 8. It says, and this is a, a situation where Peter and, and, and John have done a miracle. They're called in before the religious leadership. And it says, they had Peter and John brought in. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he makes a proclamation. He preaches a sermon in his defense. Okay, and he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He has the Holy Spirit, but now in a setting where he is proclaiming truth, God comes alongside and affects change in Peter's life. You say, Tim, how do you know that? Because Peter was the denier, right? He's the guy that couldn't hold himself together. But suddenly in a different setting, he is this effective and powerful witness. What's the explanation? The explanation is he is filled with the Spirit. Acts 4 and verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And folks, do you start to see a connection? That when you start to step out and surrender and seek God working in and through you in witness, he will come in unique ways to cause you to be something that you are afraid of being. And that is an effective witness for his kingdom. Acts 5 and verse 32. We are witnesses of these things. All right, now you go back to Luke 24, right? We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. And how does the Holy Spirit speak? He speaks through people's lives. He is the voice speaking through those who are stepping out. And folks, it's interesting, isn't it? In, Luke, in Matthew, Matthew, writing to the early church, prior to the crucifixion, tells them when you have an opportunity to speak, don't cower in silence and shame because you might not know what to say. What does he say? Open your mouth. And it's almost like the Psalms. And this, this phrase resonated in my mind as I went through this text. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. We are witnesses to these things and so is the Spirit. You never find the Spirit after the life of Jesus, making an audible proclamation except through a human instrument. In the life of Christ, it happens three times from heaven. When Jesus is gone, it happens through people. Bearing witness powerfully to the work of Christ. And the, continually, the continual empowering of the Spirit for bold proclamation is the experience of believers who are stepping out. Acts 7 and verse 54, when they heard this, they, the religious establishment, were furious and they gnashed their teeth against Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven. Stephen is now giving his life. And what does he say? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What was the secret to Stephen's witness? The Holy Spirit. 
as he stepped out in faith to say, God, I don't know what I'm going to say, but I trust you. And the Spirit of God comes along and gives him an assist. Here's what I love about Stephen's story. At the end of the story, it says there was a man named Saul who witnessed his death. Now, folks, here's what I believe. I believe when the Apostle Paul was confronted by Christ on the road to Damascus. I almost said the road to Emmaus because I was going to say Demaeus. <laughs> on the road to Damascus. Why was he so readily changed? Because you don't find a witness from Christ. You find the presence of Christ. And what is the presence of Christ doing? He is verifying everything that Stephen preached about the risen Christ. Because people struggle, well, did Paul hear enough to believe? I mean, yes, where to hear it? From a faithful witness who was full of the Spirit. Now, folks, you don't know whose life you can change. You don't know whose destiny you can affect and impact. If you could only begin to walk in obedience to the Spirit and speak the truth as you have opportunity and trust that the Spirit of God will do in your life what he promised to do in the church, and that is to clothe you with power from on high from the highest and make you effective in something that you were scared to death to do. And most of us live in disobedience to the Great Commission because we are afraid. Can we agree to that thought? Because otherwise, I don't know where our silence comes from. If it was sincerely a lack of knowledge, we would go get the knowledge because we are so passionate about getting the job done and telling people what they desperately need to hear. I don't think the issue is often knowledge. I think the issue is often a lack of surrender to the fullness of the Spirit, the power that God brings. I, I, I thought about the life of Christ, and I, I, in, in my studies, I went back to Luke 3, and I, and I thought about Jesus, the God-man. Where did Jesus get his power? I mean, isn't there the assumption for us that Jesus got his power from being who he was? Right? And, and at some level, I'm going to say that's true. But that's not the full story because Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the one who laid out the course for how effective work would be done, especially making known the kingdom of God. So here's what I find. I find at the baptism of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, the Spirit of God does what? He descends on him like a dove, right? Why? Power. To enable him to be effective in his God-given calling. I then think of Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. The temptation. Jesus, full of the Spirit. But I'm now, you're, you're kind of thinking Trinitarian. You're getting confused, right? Jesus, the God-man, filled with the Spirit, went out, led by the Spirit, into the place of temptation and succeeded in the power of the Spirit. Acts chapter, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. Jesus is in his hometown. He's in the synagogue. They give him the scroll to Isaiah 61. Rabbi, read. Jesus begins to read. And I want, you, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim freedom for prisoners. And recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And folks, what gave Jesus power? What gave him capacity to do his Father's will? 
It was the plan of God that the power of the Spirit would rest on Christ as a model for how you and I would become effective witnesses for his kingdom. That blew my mind. Spirit of God came on Jesus. Jesus got up and read in the temple and proclaimed in the power of the Spirit and left you and I a model for all bold proclamation and witness that when I try it alone, I am a total, abysmal, embarrassing failure. I remember as a kid, I was 12 years old. Doug and I heard some good sermons on evangelism growing up. Right, Doug? Pretty powerful. I remember just feeling, I need to tell my friend, his name was John Klopp. Kind of a weird last name. My friend John. John and I were building a fort in the woods. We were digging holes in the ground, putting our, building our fort. And I just, I got a burden for him. Okay, but it was kind of weird because I was intimidated because he was my age too. So what I did is I had a tract from church in my pocket, a little pamphlet, right? And on the front of it, it said, where will you be five minutes after you die? So I felt like I needed to do something, but I was intimidated about doing it. So what I did is I pulled that track out, and I kind of tossed it to the side, and the leaves were on the floor. <laughs> so a little bit later, she's like, hey, what's this? I remember being like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe God put it there for you. <laughs> you know? I, I, I had the desire, but resting in my flesh, what did I do? I, and have you done this where you've, you're sharing your faith? You just feel like, I am so in the flesh right now that even God couldn't use me, <laughs> right? But, it's a, but he does. And this is the amazing thing. That's the amazing thing. And, and so I just I started thinking, if Jesus needed the presence of the Spirit of God to be in communion with his Father, to do his Father's will, if in the garden he prayed for power and God sent angels to assist him in doing his work, folks, look, we can do this call, but we can't do it alone. If you're truly born again, I can guarantee you this. You, if, if you're not sharing your faith, you, in your heart, you're wishing you did. I always wished I did. And you, you have this chance they come, and they, they pass by. And I, I should have said, why didn't I say something? Right, and the answer is, because I, I, I knew the plan. But I can't do the plan in my own power. So God has a plan, and God empowers that plan by his personal presence. Folks, let this settle in. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm leaving, but I'm coming. I will take up residence in your heart by the Spirit. And when I am there by the Spirit, it's just like I'm right beside you. Folks, would that, let that settle in to the disciples. You will be clothed with power from the highest. It is going to settle down on you in the presence of the Spirit of God who wants to transform you into witnesses that are bold, who aren't edgy, who aren't weird, who aren't awkward, but are, they have a confidence about God. Folks, listen, there's a pastor in Philadelphia years ago. His name was Newton Conant. I don't know if you remember his name. Pastor in Philadelphia. He preached to a small church of about 50 people. The CEO of Campbell Soup Company visited that church he went away saying this. He went away saying, I don't believe anything that man said. But he does. But he does. That man eventually started to meet with Newton Conan and came to Christ. CEO of Campbell's Soup Company. 
What changed him? What affected him? You know what affected him? He saw the Spirit of God living through a man who simply, and I mean, I tell, when I tell you a simple preacher, a very simple man who believed it his responsibility to share Christ. So there's a plan. It's you, but you can't do it. You're too weak. <laughs> You're too afraid. You're too intimidated. And I am all that stuff. I mean, it took lunch. And you want to go to church? <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> I mean, because we're not active in it. It all seems so daunting. It should be just part of how we live our lives. The last thing I want you to think about is this. There's the plan and then the power to fulfill the plan. But when you understand the gospel, sharing Jesus becomes a privilege. Okay? There's a plan that fills you with power to enjoy the greatest privilege on planet Earth, and that is to begin to communicate Jesus to others. And folks, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you into a more open lifestyle in terms of evangelism. Okay? So we want to qualify that. In evangelism, I want you to start, I want to encourage you to start thinking of the privilege you have because you know the truth. I want you to start meditating on the privilege that you have because you know my sins are forgiven. To meditate on the privilege that in this broken, harsh world, I have hope. And I can, as we talked about in Sunday school with the teenagers this morning, I can count it all joy because of the hope set before me. Start to live out of an abundance of appreciation for the gospel. Start to live out of an abundance of appreciation for what Jesus Christ has, in fact, done for you. And realize that the power of the early church was not its constituency. The church that turned the world upside down didn't do it because, oh, God chose great people. No, God chose the weak things and foolish things so that in it he would confound the wise so that when the work of the church was done, people would say, God is amazing. He never left it open to chance that people would get praise for what was happening, ever. And all the good things that happen in our lives happen in the context of the power of the Spirit. Our privilege is to surrender to the prompting of the Spirit of God and to proclaim hope and change by the power of the Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. It's why Paul would say in Romans 1.16, I just want you to think about this now. Paul would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Foolishness, weakness, but I'm not ashamed of it. Because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Folks, when that starts to settle in, there's only one message you need to communicate to people. And that is that Jesus Christ stated in various ways, lived the life you could never live, died the death you should have died, rose again and offers to you a gift called eternal life and total forgiveness if you will repent and believe in his name. And you start to work your way into people's lives with the basic conviction, God has given me a privilege and I dare not shirk the duty. I, I dare not dishonor the privilege of receiving such good news and keep it to myself. I, I've used this illustration with you before. When our daughters were born, my wife did not lay there after having gone through that agony. And she, my wife did it gracefully. I want to tell you what, not a peep. 
I mean, like, you know, my wife, as you always see her, as in birth. I know that's weird and scary. But I thought, Lord, I married a strong woman. I mean, like, I'm telling you not a peep. I mean, not a, maybe like a, uh, that is it. Not a, uh, but just a, dignified. My wife is just like, everybody there? After it was all done, she did not say, honey, would you please call your parents? She had to say it to call my mother-in-law, but not my parents. <laughs> she didn't, like, beg me. Oh, make the call. You haven't called yet? What? I, I didn't need any prodding to call people and say, Rebecca Ruth was born. Erica Dawn was born. Jessica Brooke was born. Nobody had to beg me to share that. And in comparison to the gospel, the gospel. My daughters to me are a big deal. But in comparison to the gospel that can transform a life, we're silent. And folks, I just sometimes we need to sit back and say, what is up with that? Why? Start to address those fears before God and ask him, God, give me power by your spirit. Help me to surrender. Help me to understand the privilege. And folks, let's not complicate it. The demoniac of the Gadarenes in Luke 8 is delivered by the power of the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ delivers him from a possession that was destroying his entire life. He, he falls at the feet of Christ and says, Jesus, I want to be with you. What does Jesus say? No. <laughs> God wants to go with you. He just changed his life. What does Jesus say to him? No, you can't go with me. I rescued you so you would go home. And here's, here's quoting from Luke 8. Tell them what great things God has done for you. Folks, what is evangelism? Tell them what God has done for you. So if you don't have a burden to tell them, get on your knees and cry out and say, God, save me. Or God, refresh my first love. I think of the woman at the well. Encountered Christ. He told her everything she did. And her life has changed. She is drawn out of the shadows into the light. She lived in despair and brokenness and guilt, hidden. And Jesus would not let her there. He puts his finger on the reason for why she's hiding, her shameful life. And he offers her grace and hope and life everlasting. And the Bible says this. It says, she went home and said to everybody, come see a man. Who told me everything I did and still spoke to me and loved me and saved me. And I, I love what happens next in the text. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And that's it. And folks, here's the truth. If you know Christ, you will know enough to share your faith. If you know Christ, you know enough. So ignorance, as my excuse, is not an option. I need to address the real issue, which is fear of man. And I can only come, overcome that in the power of the Spirit. If you know Christ, you have a story to tell. Go and tell them everything that God has done for you. I heard a few years ago, Stephen Baldwin, the brother of Alec Baldwin, my favorite person on the planet, heard Stephen Baldwin share his testimony. They had a house worker come from overseas to work at his house. 
in Portuguese, she would sing the gospel. His wife and him didn't know Portuguese. His wife knew a little Spanish. He said she's singing songs about Jesus, like all the time. Nanny houseworker, singing. And inexplicably happy being the help. So one day, Stephen's wife walks up to her and says, why are you so happy? She started to laugh out loud. She said, I'm happy because I know why God brought me to your house. And that was to tell you about Jesus. And someone had shared that word with her before she left her home country. That God's going to use you in that house to bring someone to Christ. Stephen Baldwin and his wife have become professing Christians. I can't attest to all of their life. But their life has changed. A man named Frank Robinson. And I've told you this story. He used to come to my house. He was a huckster in a town called North Wales, Pennsylvania, West Point area in uh, Pennsylvania. He believed that God had called him to be a huckster in Jesus' name. So he sold groceries in great joy, door to door, and always shared Jesus. Wore my mom out with his joy. And my mom said to my dad, can we go to church and get this guy off my back? They went twice, heard the gospel, and were converted. Why? Because Frank Robinson did not sell groceries. Frank Robinson represented Jesus in the power of the Spirit. And I counted the other night laying in bed over 30 people in my family that have come to faith. Because of that witness. That simple vessel who lived with the conviction that I should tell people what I know. And folks, my challenge to you simply this morning is, what is holding you back? If it's the fear of man, live in the power of the Spirit. If it's a lack of knowledge, study the Word of God and share with people what you know. If it's sin, because I'm going to tell you something, if you're living in sin, you will not share your faith. It is, it is curtains. It's curtains. If there's guilt, if there's greed, if there's lust, to go on and on, it will always silence you by shame to the truth that matters most. This morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come to the Lord's table as a church family. We're going to look at elements that proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We've been called to examine our hearts and then eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And every time we do it, what are we doing? We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We are being evangelists. So, folks, what we do here symbolically, I can go out and do actually tomorrow morning or this afternoon. I don't know if you do this. I, I, I kind of try, and God's just been prompting my heart. Doug and I had a conversation the other week about this. I think as a church family, we need to think about this. I try just to, everywhere I go, create relationships. Get to know people's names, get to know them, get to know their life, and begin to share something about Christ. And I, my thought is this, what if, 
What if we all looked at it like I have one ask? I have one request that I can offer to someone that I bump into during the week. Hey, you do anything on Sunday? And I, look, it's awkward. I know. I know what silence is. Okay, I live it. But would it be not awesome if suddenly we started to invite or share, right? I mean, Philip found Jesus, John chapter 1. He went and found his friend Nathaniel. He's like, I don't know what it's all about, but come see a man. Come. He invited him. And he came and trusted Christ. So I just, would you just think, not about, you know, taking the master plan of evangelism or evangelism explosion and getting all confused about all. Tell them what God has done for you. So here's my conviction. If you know enough to take these elements this morning, Jesus said you know enough to take the gospel to your coworker, to your neighbor. And if it's sin that's keeping you from being bold, if it's grieving the power which kills the plan, you understand what I'm saying? There's a plan for evangelism, there's power, and there's the privilege. If you're grieving the spirit of God, you can look at the plan all you want, and you will never move to obey until you address the sin that is grieving the spirit of God, who is the power. And what do we do? We quench and we grieve. We need to repent and confess and then eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And when you do it, you know enough to affect change in someone's life. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, you just heard the inside story. Okay? I started sharing Jesus with one of the men I met early over in Allentown. He, he had watched the show on the Master Plan of Evangelism, saw the testimonies. He said, have you ever heard of the Master Plan of Evangelism? I said to him, yeah. Why? He goes, that's what you're trying to do to me, aren't you? I turned right, no, I'm not. <laughs> I was like, he said, that's what you're trying to do, aren't you? I looked at him and I said, yeah, I am guilty. Folks, listen, if you don't know Christ, we want you to know Christ, whom to know is life eternal. We want you to know someone stood in your place on a cross, took the wrath of God for your sin, was separated from God like you should be, rose again on the third day as your hope of forgiveness and offers to you salvation, a story that you can proclaim for the rest of your life and die with that story on your lips. I thought of our songs this morning, our most powerful songs are witness. How deep the Father's love for us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Folks, all you have to do is go out and admit to people that you are a wretched sinner like them who found hope in Christ. I mean, I just get it simple and let God close the deal. Acts chapter 16, I close with this verse. The Bible tells us that Paul's preaching in a town called Thyatira, and there is there a, a woman named Lydia. She's a seller in purple. She's a businesswoman in town. Here's what God says, Acts 17, or 16. It says, and the Lord opened Lydia's heart as Paul preached to the gospel. Folks, it's, the plan is you. The power is the spirit of God. He is the one that brings new birth. He's the one that opens eyes. You put the stuff in front of him, God opens eyes. If you make yourself the agent of change, you will fail in evangelism and you'll stop. If you let yourself be the agent of God presenting the good news and let God be the agent of change, 
you will find joy in evangelism. Otherwise, you will bang your head against the wall trying to do something that you were incapable of doing. You can't share it. You can't change people's hearts. Share it for the glory of God. It is your greatest privilege. Join the plan. Experience the power of God by the Spirit. And enjoy the privilege of sharing Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as we come to your table...